right, man. This is episode number 80 of the Cozy Corner of Cinema. This is being recorded on a beautiful, chilly autumn day on Monday, October 9th, 2023 at 3.18 p.m. It is such a sight to see outside. The leaves have almost completely engulfed the grass there's, uh, you know, just a beautiful chill in the air. It's the perfect weather that, you know, you get in the house, you get in your cozy clothes, man, you get your slippers on, you just totally embrace yourself in your surroundings, in the atmosphere. You know, it's this beautiful kind of cozy weather that really makes you aware of your surroundings, man, makes you more aware of, you know, now that we're out of the summer, now the heat's gone, you know, we're bundling up. We're getting ourselves cozy, getting ourselves in for the night. Winter's going to be with us soon, so it's going to be darker earlier. It's the uh, perfect weather just to stay in and to read or to watch a film or anything that you feel like will add to that cozy kind of mentality, man. It's, uh, it's what we're all about here on the show, man. I mean, the show is called The Cozy Corner of Cinema because it's all about that, spreading that, spreading the uh, the cinematic joy, you know, to you, the listener, as well as just a total cozy atmosphere, kind of like a fireplace sort of mentality, just being by the fire, a hot beverage in front of you, you know, it's just, I love this time of the year, man, you know, it's just, it's just absolutely astonishing, you go out there, you just see that the trees themselves are painted with a variety of colors of oranges and yellows, of the greeneries around, it's truly a sight to behold that you have to just kind of see for yourself in person, man, you can look at many, many a beautiful photograph, and those are all great and all that, but when you're actually in it and when you're experiencing it, it's something else, you know, whether, you know, that's why you want to uh, take the opportunity to go out there, you know, go for a, go for a walk, go for a drive, you know, maybe you're out and you're, you know, listening to your favorite music or listening to a podcast or whatever it is. Maybe you're listening to nothing at all. You're just embracing yourself in the uh, surrounding kind of noise and just allowing yourself to be immersed in the atmosphere. There's no wrong way to do it, man. Just don't waste the opportunity while you still have the time, man, because next thing you know it's going to be winter we're going to be you know winter is perfect uh perfect weather and opportunity to stay inside man you don't want to be going out there and risking you know an accident driving on slippery roads and for what man to go out there and do nothing to socialize and do all that nonsense man it, it ain't worth it you know but however you do you you know you do your life the way you want to do it you find whatever it whatever it is that cozy mentality that keeps you going that keeps you moving forward and whatever that might be man there's no wrong way to do it as long as you're not hurting yourself or anybody else you got to find that kind of cozy center of yourself and chase after it, man because it certainly ain't going to be chasing after you oh man all right let's get right into uh some stuff i want to talk about today i uh heard the other day tragically that the director da- uh, terrence davies has passed away and uh, i'll be the first to tell you that i am not as familiar with his filmography as uh, i probably I- i'm aware of his filmography let, let me rephrase that I- i'm aware of his uh, his filmography i just have not seen many of his films i've only seen two of his films uh, uh his film 19 from 1992 the long day closes which is definitely one of the strongest films that I've seen this year and his uh, final film from 2021 Benediction um, which I thought was pretty good as well I, I wasn't uh, quite in love with it but it's also the first of his work that I had seen um, you know he has, he has passed away and I don't normally talk about you know everybody who passed away and all that and the only people I've really mentioned uh, uh, really that I've devoted a lot of time to was probably, you know, Mike Shank and, and Ruggiero Diodato, you know, for personal reasons. But it's, uh, it, it kind of leads me into the first uh, kind of thing I want to talk about today because I had read a book um, 
last year or two years ago. I was going over a handful of filmmakers and their work and sort of, uh, you know, analyzing some of their work. And Terrence Davies is one of the filmmakers listed in this book. And one of the other filmmakers has a new short film out, which has been getting some talk. Uh, filmmaker Pedro Almodovar, who has his new film out, which I have seen uh, from 2023 with Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal. And the name of that film is Strange Way of Life. This is his newest uh, film, not a feature film. Uh, this is playing theatrically right now on a double bill with his 2020 short film, The Human Voice, which has Tilda Swinton in it as the primary uh, and really only character in the film, uh, you know, besides some, uh, I guess, only character that we really see on screen besides uh, a couple of people in a department store sort of area. But um, both these films are about a half hour each. And um, I would recommend that if you get the opportunity to see these theatrically, to stick around after The Human Voice, because the first one that plays is Strange Way of Life, then The Human Voice plays, and there's been no mention of it, but afterwards is a really solid uh, about 20 or 30 or so minute interview with Almodovar, where he primarily talks about Strange Way of Life, talks about influences on it, his kind of what he was going for on that, um, sort of some contemporary westerns that he drew some inspiration from, films like Power of the Dog and The Rider, and it's great to hear him mention The Rider. If you've uh, listened to the show, you know how much I love that film. And he talks about some other kind of contemporary westerns and sort of what he's kind of going for, sort of, uh, you know, Almodovar is somebody who really, uh, it breaks down a lot of the human uh, uh, kind of, uh, um, what's what I'm looking for, uh, you know, relationships that humans have with one another, uh, you know, for the most part, primarily from a female sort of point of views and the, uh, when it comes to the male kind of characters, their relationships with the females, maybe not necessarily romantic, but more so in how they affect their lives. And, and this is one where, because, you know, you have two primary male leads, you have Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal, who, you know, because it's a short film, I almost don't even really want to go into it too much because, uh, there is, it's, uh, really, it's kind of two big dialogue sequences, man. Almodovar talks about in the interview how he mainly wrote this dialogue sequence about two... Um, well, you know, I, I don't really want to say because I really think... I mean, not that it's a, it's a spoiler or anything like that. It's only about 30 minutes, but I think the way that you uh, take in the film will uh, uh, be important rather than me just kind of explaining what happens over the course of the 30 minutes. But uh, basically, he wrote the dialogue exchange and then kind of built on it from there. And... Um, you know, the thing with this film is that I'm enjoying it a lot. You know, I think Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal are, are two really terrific actors. And the uh, the there's a couple other actors in this film you have uh, who I'm, I'm not familiar with these actors, so I do apologize. We have like Sarah Salamo, uh, Manu Rios, uh, Jason Fernandez, Jose Condesa. Uh, you know, they have small parts here and there. But um, the thing with this film, which I, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword in terms of a compliment and a detriment is that uh, I was really enjoying this for what was going on. And, um, you know, I, I would have no problem with being a short, but I was kind of, and I think the audience was as well, sort of taken aback at the abruptness of the ending. Um, because, the, I mean, when the film cuts, it the credits almost immediately come up. And I think it's kind of jarring in a way where it doesn't feel like a natural end to this sort of situation. It kind of just feels like time is up, you know, like you have, you have X amount of time. And I was watching this and I'm thinking, why was this not stretched out to a feature? Because... Um, 
which is a compliment to the film itself because I think the back and forth between the characters Jake and Silva, played by Pedro Pascal and Ethan Hawke, uh, they work so well off each other and I really like their dialogue exchanges off one another and sort of the moral conundrum that really comes from their characters that by not doing more with it, it was kind of the ultimate tragedy. And, and Almodovar does talk about uh, not exactly why it wasn't stretched out through a feature but for one what would have happened next in the story with these characters and how it all ultimately would have resolved but two also why he wanted to keep it at just a 30 minutes now for the human voice with Tilda Swinton you know I get why it's a 30 minute short I mean it's it plays off of a I think someone inspired by a Jean Cocteau play, uh, which I'm not familiar with. Um, It's it's primarily just this conversation that Tilda Swinton is having on this phone, on this soundstage, in these different kind of... um uh, interior spaces. She has this dog with her, and I'm sure people who are more familiar with the Jean Cocteau uh, play or work that this is based off of will be able to uh, uh, draw a stronger connection than I was, because I really had no sort of uh, base of reference. But with The Strange Way of Life, um, you know, I, I think that he could have, what he was trying to do with it, I, I totally understand why, because I remember hearing about this film at um, I don't know when it was. It was when it played at a festival last year or so, and he, or maybe when it was even in production, I really don't know, but I remember um, Amadovar talking about this film, man, and he was talking about this was kind of his version of Brokeback Mountain, or his, I don't even know if it was a response to Brokeback Mountain, but basically that was a film that was in the conversation of this, and I didn't totally get what he meant by that, you know, uh, but then watching this film, I really get what he was trying to go for, you know, with these two characters, and sort of the, um, the qualms that both of them have with not only each other, but the situation they kind of find themselves in a bit of a triangle in terms of not only their personal relationships, but also something bigger going on. And I think that where he's talking about where the film would have went would have been a very, very interesting way of doing it because, you know, because Almodovar is a filmmaker whose leads are almost entirely always female, by having these two male characters is such an a interesting um, sort of take that I really would have liked to have seen a full feature of this, you know, and Almodovar is a filmmaker who I really, I, I haven't seen all of his work, but all of his work that I have seen, I have liked. That book uh, doesn't go through any of his shorts. It goes up to, um, at that point, goes up to 2013, uh, or, I mean, it came out, I don't know when the book came out, it's in the other room, but that his newest film at the time was his 2013 film, I'm So Excited, which was, actually, to my knowledge, is probably his least well-received film to date, um, and it's interesting that that book, uh, when that book came out, that a couple of years later, his film Pain and Glory from 2019 would be one of his most uh, beloved films to date. You know, I'm looking through his filmography now, and the films that I've seen, just to run through really quick, I've seen... Let me shake, make sure. Okay, for his directorial work, um, the films as I've seen are uh, Matador, Women on the Verge for Nervous Breakdown, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, All About My Mother, The Skin I Live In, Pain and Glory, and then his newest three, um, The Human Voice, Parallel Mothers, and Strange Way of Life. And I like all those films to one extent or another. Obviously, I like I like uh, you know some more than others. My favorite of his work, undoubtedly, to me, is, is unquestionably Women on the Verge of Nervous Breakdown. I think that's such a smartly written and just a, a really great, almost uh, stage play in a will. 
if you will. I think, but I, I think it was also actually based off of John Cocteau work as well. But you have, you know, the three leads in that film and kind of the situations that they get themselves into. That's all taking place really in this one apartment. And I, I don't know if this was his first work that he did with Antonio Banderas that he collaborated with a lot. I believe they had a falling out at one point and then uh, they were able to kind of uh, get back together. And I mean, obviously with Antonio Banderas being in, um, Pain and Glory from 2019, where he's playing. It's been a couple of years I've I've seen it, but I believe he's playing basically a version of Almodovar, except for him or another character in that film, and kind of looking back on um, his career as a famous filmmaker, but also his relationship with his mother when he was a young kid, and obviously you can see sort of the somewhat autobiographical nature of it. I, I've not read into that film as much as I um, as much as I probably would have benefited, but from seeing it initially, initially. But I mean, the thing is that with all of his work, I mean, you know. His perspective on a lot of these uh, situations, they they like any real great uh, artist or, or like like many great artists, I should say, is that they they come from um, putting themselves into their writing, their writings or their films or their artworks. Not necessarily an autobiographical work, but you take these elements, you take these elements that Almodovar maybe has the relate his, his relationship with his mother or the people in his life, you know. And I remember. And sometimes with a lot of filmmakers that that can be oftentimes misinterpreted or they put themselves almost maybe too much into the films that people reject that in a way where I, you know, I see that happen with certain filmmakers where they put the, they put a lot of their ideas, a lot of these darker kind of elements or a lot of the uh, maybe unclean sort of elements they, they put into their films and it can, and people are quick to uh, maybe reject that on a, on a shallow kind of surface level. I look at a filmmaker like, um, you know, one of my favorite filmmakers, Lars von Trier, and sort of the controversies that his films get into where they say about, like, the violence or they say that it's misogynistic or anything like that. And I, to me, I think that's a very shallow and very um, trite kind of point of view, man. I mean, it's sort of like, for one, you know, him specifically as an artist, because he makes um, such what can be shocking, you know, uh, of films, you know, he makes very sexually explicit films, very, uh, the, the violence can be very explicit. I mean, um, it can sort of provoke, uh, uncomfortable reactions where you have a film like the Hellstep Jack Bell, which you're dealing with uh, horrific, explicit violence. Then you have these really sort of goofy, silly moments that, you know, and I, I love that film that, that, that made my top 10 of, uh, 20, uh, what, what list did I do? Was that the, was that in the 2021 list? I don't remember. I or no, was that the 2018 list? Oh, gosh, man, yeah, that had to be in the 2018 list. But I love that film. But but you know, I, I remember you know, and this was when I was still you know at a certain point I I just stopped reading any kind of reviews online. I I was getting so frustrated. And I was thinking like, what am I doing this to myself for? You know, there's just certain films where I'm just like, man, you're just getting the wrong idea from this. But you know, it's people's own opinion. They're entitled to their opinion. But I'm just like, you know, I, I'm just more interested in what my acquaintances whom uh, whose opinion I trust that whether or not we they strongly agree or strongly disagree on a film i at least have some sort of perspective to gain from rather than just a, a nameless or not even nameless but i should say just some random uh, text in the void but i just see i was just seeing his work get kind of unfairly treated and, and getting just these really shallow kind of interpretations from that you know when a filmmaker kind of puts themselves into their work and when they get these sort of reactions, it can be kind of off-putting, I imagine, to them, where it's sort of like, you know, they put themselves into this work and they, they kind of use their, you know, the positive or negative elements in their life into something creative like art and then it's kind of shunned away. It's, it's sort of, I imagine, can be very um, off-putting and very disheartening. But what's interesting is, as I, going back from to before, 
with Amadovar talking about um, sort of his in the in the interview after both the films he talks about sort of he the influences with the um, some of the westerns he was talking about he talks about his love of like you know of uh, some of the John Ford stuff you know he he's he's not big on spaghetti westerns but he loves the Leone stuff he loves some of the Corbucci films and you can definitely see where it's coming from where he talks about sort of you know all these kind of male driven films but you don't he wanted to get kind of a more emotional uh, tender. Uh, uh, romantic relationship with a lot of these men, uh, you know, who are in these films where it's just them and all that. And it's an interesting point of view because you don't really say that. You don't really say it that often. And it's interesting the the sort of recent uh, westerns he brought up um, all happen to be directed by women that got it, sort of these more um, emotional sort of um, viewpoints. I forgot the third film that he mentioned. I do apologize because um, he mentioned the Power of the Dog, uh, the Rider, and one other film that I. I am do not remember the name of it all. Oh, um, it was First Cal by Kelly Reichardt, which I haven't seen yet. I, I really actually wanted to see that film, um, which is funny. And when I was thinking about what the film he had mentioned, I was like, okay, I think he mentioned a Kelly Reichardt film. And I'm like, okay, did he mention Meek's Cutoff? I don't think it was that one. And then First Cal. Um, and I haven't seen First Cal, but The Rider is a uh, contemporary set Western. So, I mean, it, it takes place. I forgot where it takes place, but it's not, when I say Western, it's not a – it's not – it's something something closer to like maybe a Tyler uh, a Taylor Sheridan sort of work like uh, Hell or High Water or Wind River or um, even something like uh, uh, Yellowstone which I've never seen but Almodovar sort of mentions that he's he's a fan of that work but he's sort of his sort of his um issues that he had with the uh, with the show that he wanted to kind of step away from getting a more kind of human emotional sort of resolution but that kind of leads me into the next point I wanted to bring up and actually. I forgot to grab the book from before, so if you can hear me, I'm on the other side of the room. Gotta get this book here. Pulling it out. Oh, gosh, man. Alright. I could edit around this, but I'm not gonna, so just bear with me for a moment. But one of the filmmakers that he had mentioned, and sort of their work, which I feel like belongs in the higher echelon, of great American westerns, and truly... Uh, you know, when you talk about the great American Westerns, there are many, many that come to mind. I'm sure, you know, you have plenty like, you know, Stagecoach, The Searchers, Rio Bravo, um, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, you know, all these just phenomenal uh, Red River, you know, it just, it goes on and on. But of course, when you think of American Westerns, one of the names that has to come up undoubtedly is the great Sam Peckinpah. And this film that I am currently in the middle of, which has been taking up all of my time in terms of my reading, has been this book that's copyrighted from, or copyrighted, I should say, from, what year is this? I think it's 1994. That's right, copyright 1994. You always want to look up the copyright on that, not when it was published, because that could be very misleading. Um, if you're looking at it when something is published, and let's say, because there's this one of the... Um, a project that I'm working on, it, I was having some difficulty finding the actual uh, date that a book was released because they were, it kept showing me the reissues. So it was saying it was a book from the, uh, uh, well, technically the late 50s, but actually into the 60s, 70s. And it, it was it was giving me 2015, 2016. It's like, no way, man, that, that's not it. But this book written by uh, David Weddle, uh, If They Move, Kill Him, The Life and Times of Sam Peckinpah, and it's appropriate that I read this because I just recently read, and I won't get up into the other room, but I did just recently read the book on the making of The Wild Bunch, which I believe is a newer book as well. I can look here on Amazon and see, 
because it's a contemporary book when the release date was. So it says first edition of this was in February 12th, 2019. And the full title of this book is The Wild Bunch, Sam Peckinpah, A Revolution in Hollywood, and the Making of a Legendary Film. And that book was written by W.K. Stratton, which is also a very good book as well and uh, is required reading with this being in the conversation. But this has been such a terrific read so far. It's, uh, it's funny, I was talking about on last episode, I, I picked up uh, Pure Filth, which I've been trying to uh, find for a while, and it's still been sitting here, man. I got it right here, actually. That'll be next up to read, but I've been so enthralled with this book. It's a, it's a uh, fairly long book, man. It's about, I mean, the final page here is uh, about 561, so not too bad. That Norman Naylor book I read was about 900 pages, and that took me about two months to get through. As well, was a terrific book. I highly recommend that. Uh, Norman Naylor, A Double Life. Really uh, fantastic look into a uh, complicated man. And uh, much in the same way of that, this is also a really interesting and uh, uh, loving and critical look into um, Peckinpah as a person, of course, and as a filmmaker. They, uh, right now, I'm about halfway through the book. I'm just at the point when the Wild Bunch is really getting its footing, how it was uh, initially brought up from a different idea, that, or brought up from a different um uh, work that he was going to do of the of uh, while he was rewriting the Diamond Story, um, and that eventually got morphed into this. But uh, you know, with this book, is that it uh, the way that David Weddle writes it? It's you can tell he he really loves Peckinpah, and at the same time, he is not afraid to show his uh, very a uh, very ugly side of him, the complicated relationship that he had with the women in his life, and especially in his family. And what I was saying before when it came to a filmmaker like Lars von Trier is that, you know, when he puts sort of his ideas, his sort of, maybe sort of his inner workings into these films that come out in sort of this harsh way, how quickly it can be rejected and how quickly it can be shunned as being something much more uh, shallow than it actually is. And um, what David Weddle does uh, so greatly is he talks about sort of these personal feelings that Peckinpah has that he puts into his work um, his ideas of, uh, you know, the the women in his life and the love in his life and sort of the idea of really kind of, you know, standing, you know, sticking it to your, sticking to your guns, man, and really kind of standing your ground on your morals, but also the idea of a change in sort of time, not solely with the wild bunch, but, you know, at this point up, you know, the work of like Ride the High Country, which is, you know, really like, you know, sort of, you're these you're not needed anymore you know it's 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 like you're i mean i you know you look at the the tagline for the wild bunch and from memory it's out uh you know out of touch out of, and running out of time you know obviously horribly paraphrased but this idea of just the everything around you is moving and where do you go from there and the wild bunch does that exceptionally you know that's t- i mean that's a late period western where it's sort of just like you know, the, the Mexico is changing these bounty hunters. I mean, these criminals really are, are changing, man. And the world is not going to wait for them. They're a dying breed. So it's sort of like, what are you going to do with your morals, man? Are you going to try to hold on to this idea of a, of a different kind of past? Or are you going to, like, really stay on your feet and fight for something worth fighting for? And that's why, I mean, I'm not going to spoil anything, but when you get to that third act, the Wild Bunch, on... Um, 
on a purely kind of uh, uh, shallow level, yes, it's a brilliant third act. I mean, this book talks about the way that Peckinpah edits and how he was doing, you know, compared to a lot of his contemporaries or a lot of the great titans of the genre, you know, of the of the John Fords and the Howard Hawks, who, uh, you know, in their westerns, uh, they would have these kind of long kind of shots that, you know, they, they there was not a lot of room to really mess with the edit because you couldn't really rearrange those shots that way. Whereas Peckinpah was very adamant in something like Ride the High Country where he has a lot of quick cuts between the the, uh, the action and he can go through and just kind of pick and trim what he wants. And they talk about with this long-time editor saying like, oh, this is uneditable, I can't do anything with it. But him being so meticulous and being sort of this uh, focused kind of artist, he really was able to make something so impressive that through all his... Um, ups and downs, you know, at getting at this point hired, uh, you know, get, or getting on this point to do the Wild Bunch, they can still come back and be like, okay, well, this guy did ride the high country because the book talks about, you know, the, you know, going into ride the high country and, you know, working on like television before and all that. And um, then going into Major Dundee and the troubled, the, the incredibly troubled production that had and the film being taken away from him and re-edited and, uh, you know, the lying to the press about, uh, I'm sorry, like later on, we're talking about the Cincinnati kid when he got fired from that and, and lying to the press about why he got fired. It's a whole big thing because Peckinpah, I mean, is a very... Uh, complicated guy, you know, he's, he could be, he's one of these guys who could be very cruel and be, and verbally abusive and just be a real, just like son of a gun man, but then he could be very kind and caring and be very loving and, and they talk about this, the whole part where he was sending money to these kids overseas and he was spending like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars on this man and he's just going back and forth of just the uh, complicated marriages and all that and that's why you know, with these kind of filmmakers, I don't think, I don't know how much they can really exist anymore while still given the kind of free reign to do the kind of films that they want, man. Because even though, you know, he, they talk about the, the studio is basically turning their backs on him after Major Dundee, you know, but then he does, um, uh, noon and wine and that sort of gets their attention again and it's sort of like he can come back and start to do other stuff but then he's kind of being you know people are still kind of you know worry about him and it's you know very much in the same way of something like uh, you know a book I talked about a while ago the Michael Shimino book talking about how you know Shimino was this guy who you know he was a very smart guy you know he, you know he worked on Silent Running and then he does The Deer Hunter which he gets all these awards and is a brilliant film but then he is he's just like I mean it's, it's in a parallel to the Wild Bunch man it's like sort of this guy in a changing time where you know it's not the new hollywood anymore man i mean he's 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 there's this create this wild production of heaven's gate i mean it's not solely just him man the book the book does a lot of uh, arguments about how he's united artists was at fault on a lot of this too but my point being is that you can't have an artist like peck and paw like kubrick you know these kind of uh I don't even want to say wild cars. They're going to do something crazy, but these very focused, kind of meticulous uh, filmmakers and artists who end up producing these really exceptional works that end up kind of changing the landscape. You know, they talk about with Ride the High Country how you had all these westerns that were just blending together and were very kind of the same sort of cowboys and Indian story. But when you have a film like Ride the High Country, which is far more character-driven and far more emotional that really shines above kind of the, you know, and, and the, and a lot of the, the films that, you know, a lot of the Westerns that were kind of made like on a, uh, you know, on a factory line. Hey, a lot of them are good, man. I'm not, I'm not putting down any films, but ultimately, you know, what are you really getting out of it emotionally? Which is probably not, you know, 
it really depends on a film by film basis. You know, I really can't say for sure, but just a visionary like Peckinpah doing these sorts of films. And of course he would go on to do many brilliant films, man. I think I've seen, I'm close to have seen all of his films. I think the only two, you know what, actually like Amadovar, like I'm going to run through because I, I'm, I think there are only two that I haven't seen. I'm sorry, actually three that I haven't seen. But to my knowledge, I've seen the rest of his films. So let me just run through these really quick. And I'm talking about feature films, not his, any of his shorts, any of his TV stuff. Or I'm sorry, any of his TV stuff, I should really say. Um, uh, let's see. So, so The Deadly Companions, I haven't seen. That was actually his, t- his uh, first film. Uh, you know, I forgot the story with that. I think he was just hired for that film. It wasn't entirely his. But Ride the High Country is really kind of his first, you know, real peck and pop film. Then he would do Major Dundee, which I've seen. Um, the Wild Bunch, which I've seen. Uh, Ballad of Cable Hogue, I've seen. Straw Dogs, I've seen. Junior Bonner, I've seen. The Getaway, I've seen. Uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, which I haven't seen, but I actually currently have recorded on TCM, so that'll be watched very soon. I actually almost like a, I got another film I gotta watch before that, and then that's up next. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, which I've seen. The Killer Elite, which I've seen. Cross of Iron, which I haven't seen. That's getting a 4K soon. Somebody waiting for that. Convoy, which I've seen. And then his final work, The Osterman Weekend, which I haven't seen. So all of the films that I've seen that I've mentioned, I like, man. You know, I, I think even... I mean, my least favorite of his work is... is is definitely Convoy, but I think there's, there is definitely good stuff in there. I think Ernest Borgnine plays a really solid villain as well. I actually do like that film. I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, bad or I don't, I really don't think it's that bad or I think that, but you know, but interesting the way that they talk about even early on the Cincinnati kid, which, uh, by Norman Jewison, which is a film that I absolutely love. Steve McQueen, Tuesday Weld, um, uh, Edward G. Robinson and Margaret. That's just a really, really great film. Um, but uh, they talk about how they were really going for a different idea with that film and how he wanted to do something a little bit darker and grittier and how he only really shot one part of the film that they, you know, basically lied to the media about that's why I got fired and they read the whole thing and he was furious about it. You know, I would have loved to have seen his version of the film, but I think that's the case where we actually uh, got a brilliant film out of it. And actually, funny enough, he was, um, if things would have worked out, uh, I won't go over the whole thing, but he would have almost been a, front, a, a runner-up to... Uh, a frontrunner, I should say, to direct uh, Butch Cassidy, but that's for a uh, that's a different story altogether. But anyways, I'm running out of time here. I got less than a minute, so I'll just say, enjoy the beautiful autumn weather. Don't waste it. It's, uh, it's uh, shining down beautifully right now. We got a beautiful breeze in the air. Make yourself a hot beverage. Get a good book. Make sure you're getting in the time to follow your dreams and passions, man. Because we're wrapping up almost the end of the year. So when the end of the year comes, you're gonna want to look back and wonder. What did I accomplish this year? You know, and that's only for you to judge whether it was a year uh, wasted or a year treated, you know, rightly. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. Take care. Uh, I'll be back next time. All the best.